Hello, welcome back to Future Prairie Radio, where marginalized artists explore the future through the lens of the arts, humanities, and culture. I'm your host, Joni Whitworth. This is Season 5, Episode 9, Your Neighbor, with Adam Brock Cerisi. Adam is a muralist from New York, who's been living and working in Oregon since 2007. They have a BFA in Art Practices from Portland State University, and an MFA from Pacific Northwest College of Art in Visual Studies, where they now teach. Adam's mural painting class has painted several murals throughout Portland. Some of their newer work is intensely personal, questioning chronic illness, political and economic systems, and ways of healing. Their art explores hope for the future while expressing socio-political discontent. And you can see a wide variety of it up on adambrockcerisi.com. That's A-D-A-M-B-R-O-C-K-C-I-R-E-S-I.com. Here's Adam. My name is Adam Brock Cerisi, pronouns he, they. I am from New York where I was raised, grew up and moved out here to Portland about 15 years ago. And so this place is so much more home than it is New York for me. And I identify as non-binary. I am an artist, musician, teacher. I have tons of hobbies. I'm not so religious, but I am, especially in regards to nature, have like a sense of connectedness and spirituality, maybe in that sense. I consider myself pretty politically minded, especially more like radical politics in terms of like racial justice movements, human rights, trans rights, so forth. You know, you could go down the list. I'm not sure you could start to figure out where <laughs> where I would situate myself. And I think that a lot of that gets informed by, by my art practice, especially the side of teaching and being a public artist. I, I know that I'm a painter, visual artist and so forth, but I also am a muralist. And that's something that's like been a bigger part of my experience here in Portland, having grown up in New York, I was, you know, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, massive impact, you know, being in the city and just graffiti and street art everywhere. And then moving here and there was a lack of it at the time when I moved here and found myself trying to be a part of seeing more of it here. And then eventually that just kind of caught on and I spend a lot of time out in public and I feel like it impacts me a lot and sort of a lot of my politics because it's not just like, oh, I'm, I'm out and about in the city. I interact with so many people when you're muraling. So many people want to talk to you and you, public art, especially murals, play into more of like art for the people and not so much coddled behind the walls of an institution. So you kind of get a greater sense for the impact of art and the relationship of people with it in the streets, you know? So that like really shapes me a lot as well. The way that I can sort of self-identify is more along a spectrum and not just between two points, something much more holistic than that, and realize that there are certain physical qualities to me that I can't really escape. I am outwardly seeming just like, a, for instance, a very like chiseled jawline. I'm a smaller person, but I'm fairly broad. Like I, I, I have all these inherent qualities that denote a masculine body. As a person that's like pretty radically minded, I resist as much these notions of like binary systems, for instance. I think they, they get us in a lot of trouble and I think they really sort of stymie the growth of individuals, people, and entire societies. 
And when I started thinking about that, probably been about seven years ago, I, I began realizing that there's certain levels to this. So for instance, as someone who is also has a, a chronic autoimmune disease, I've learned I need to be pretty tender with myself sometimes. And I think that, that it is antithetical to like qualities of toxic masculinity, for instance, right? It's always like toughen up and just deal with it kind of thing. I also grew up, I definitely experienced like quite a bit of a just aggression that I feel like really was, that I feel like was really fueled by patriarchal norms. And, um, and I don't fault like any, anyone in my family, you know, we're constantly learning from each other and we've, you know, definitely reconciled a lot. But when you're going through that, being reared on that, you know, it, it can influence how, how, you, how you approach uh, some sort of conflict. It took me a long time to realize, like, I have a bit of a temper and I don't know where this, where this came from because I don't identify with it. When I think about myself, I'm like, I don't have that. And I remember, it had to have been like a decade ago, you know, I have, I have a brother who I'm very fortunate to have in my life and he even moved out here a few years after I did and he, coming from the other side of the country by myself, maybe a couple of friends, it was amazing to be able to have my, my family here. And there was one time he was like, just shared with me that I'm this intimidating person. And I'm like, I'm not even, I'm like a small person. I mean, I know I can have like a loud voice, but it had to do with this demeanor that was like, I felt like kind of coming from a place that I, d I haven't really interrogated in my life. And when I began to interrogate, I was like, I don't even recognize that in myself. I don't even see that. And it took a long time of really like staring in like a looking glass to understand, okay, this is something that exists, but, but I can change it. And I, and I began to shift this and I felt like it was, in, it was important to first think about it and, and try it on and see how it felt. And, and, you know, a few years ago, I started going to therapy and I have a therapist that has really helped me work through that to be, you know, a better sibling, uh, son, to be a better partner to, to my partner who's like amazing and super supportive of me. And just like overall, like being a part of multiple communities, like, and so I was like, I got to figure this out. And, and it's, it's interesting because after a few years of, of feeling like I'm getting a handle on how I can talk about this and how I can view myself, I started feeling like there's something like deep down inherent, like genetic makeup in my body. And I started speculating after I would take some time to really inform myself about how other people view someone that's non-binary, for instance. And I started relating like testosterone, honestly, to to this place that was like really sort of shaped by traits of toxic masculinity. And this is where like things actually get pretty crazy and it really like blurs into my illness because I actually, I, I started suppressing testosterone for a while and it was amazing. I never imagined that I would ever do some form of hormone therapy but I just, you know, after a lot of discussions with my therapist, it was like, you know, this is actually pretty real. And this is something that a lot of others experience. And when I realized that I was like, okay, cool. Like this is, I, I'm finding a whole other community of people that feel the same way I did. And I've been so insular about it that after a few months, I just felt better than I've ever felt in my life. It was just like my cognitive ability was just like in a whole other realm that I'd never been. I felt like very clear headed. I felt so much more in touch with myself and it's like all it took and and then things went pretty right for me. <laughs> so after about, about probably four or five months, my illness, which I have uh, ulcerative colitis Crohn's disease, and I've had it for 16 years. 
and, and it had been remission for, for several years. All of a sudden just relapsed and flared up and it was like right around the holidays and the holidays can be stressful time. You know, family stuff can get pretty intense around the holidays. I was supposed to go back to New York to see him for the first time in like, gosh, I don't even know, at least five years and then COVID, you know, wave and all this stuff. And I just was like, all right, things are getting stressful. I guess it makes sense. All of a sudden I'm relapsing. So I had to do the whole rigmarole of like going on different treatments and, you know, a bunch of medications that are just awful on the body, especially steroids. I mean, just that in and of itself makes life really insane and difficult. But it seemed like it was waning within a couple of months being on those treatments. So I was, did what I usually do, which is like, okay, start to wean off the prednisone and, and so forth. And then all of a sudden it came back like tenfold, like even worse, the uh, amount of, of awful side effects from just the prednisone, not even just everything else. Terrible. You know, I spent a lot of times like throughout my, these 16 years of having this illness, researching, you know, medical journal articles of like, what is currently going on with this disease? And like, what can I do? And I somehow came across something that said, um, women who were in menopause to use estrogen to lessen the side effects from it, who have ulcerative colitis, were flaring, were getting flare-ups pretty quickly. And this is what's really fascinating. And I think this really relates maybe to a lot of like the non-binary trans community is that like there is not enough research out there at all about like hormone therapy and just like the overall ex societal experience, right? When you suppress testosterone inadvertently can you know increase estrogen. And so it's not certain, but it is pretty possible. Doing something that really helps me have a better sense of self identity, especially in terms of gender, does not couple well with the autoimmune disease I have, which was like a real heartache and it still is a heartache, you know? So like on one hand, I'm sad that I can't do it, but on the other hand, like I experienced it. And I feel like when you experience something, you can still kind of embody it. And so like the, the, the sort of shift in my mindset is still there. I could feel the change a little bit deeper down inside that went back to a place that almost feels like I've regressed a little bit, but you know, that's, that's how it is. You know, I have like a lot of body dysmorphia and it's not, not necessarily just like gender based, but it's also has to do with the fact of like what happens when your body just doesn't work the way you want it to, you know? And I, I can't tell you how much time I've devoted over the last 16 years to just like wishing I had a different body trying to find ways how the hell I could ex escape it, you know? And that's hard, you know, not just for me, but to like share with others. It's almost taboo, you know? It's like death is taboo that we don't talk about, which is something that's like ultimately there for all of us. And so we should, you know? If it's difficult, what are ways that we can, we can lighten it? And that, that's like the big part of, of this work for me is not just about like sharing this side that is a little bit taboo, but like the same way that I felt like if I have this aspect of my life that I've come to realize is a bit more aggressive than I want, how can I, how can I counteract that? And that, that comes from a place of tenderness, of self-care, of empathy, you know, not just for myself, but for those around me. And so I began thinking like that, that's important in this work that like, how can I sort of tenderize the severity of my illness, not just physically, but like also in, in sharing it because it's something that I haven't really shared before. It's a, 
It's a side of humiliation, to be completely honest, when I share it with others, and especially in the moments of it happening, like, you know, I'm currently in a flare-up right now. Like I said, I'm still struggling to get out of it, but I'm a teacher and, and I have rent <laughs> and it's an expensive city these days. And so I have to deal with this like double identity of like standing there trying to be this harbinger of knowledge of like a weird form of art too. It doesn't get taught in institutions, you know, street art is not a thing that gets taught. So I got to like create this little path for myself and to reach students in this. I'm bringing a lot and in the moments of sharing this with students, I'm dealing with such severe pain and I'm trying to figure out how do I can be a little bit more tender with that. And so I'm spending time thinking about how that can enter this work. There's a lot of times when you make work more of like within fine art, I suppose, people just see the end product, whereas your studio becomes the streets. And it's, it's fascinating. It's gotten me in weird places sometimes. So summer of 2017, I was doing a mural up in um, St. John's. I was painting a house, which this city deems as illegal. Anything that's under five dwelling units, I think it is, you can't paint. And so it's, it's an old law, it has to do a lot with like clear channel and advertising and stuff in this city, and no one has really updated it. And so I was painting a home and kind of like knowingly painting a mural to celebrate uh, the St. John's neighborhood. We have this big house, this is vinyl side, very stereotypical. And then uh, <laughs> like this is suburban stereotypical. And they're like, we want to transform that and make it something to give back to our community. And lo long story short, someone who was watching the process happened, reported to the city that I was painting a bunch of kids committing suicide off the bridge. But it was uh, obviously not that. And on top of it, knowing that it was going to be illegal, myself and the owners of the house who were actually public defenders and were like, we, we understand what's at stake here and we're willing to go for it. But let's do the process that we would normally do if we were to get a, a permit. Went to every neighbor that we could, explained what we were doing, showed photos, had the mock-ups and stuff, had conversations and everyone was in support of it. And someone just reported to city. And once it's reported, that's it. Like once it's on our radar, we have to do something about it. And somehow the St. John's community caught wind of it. While this was happening, I got added to a St. John's Facebook group. They are constantly on top of everything that's happening in their community. So next thing I know, there was a, someone put together a petition. It was like over 6,000 signatures of support, not just from St. John's in Portland, but from like kind of all over. And it was delivered, I think, to Chloe Udaly. And she, um, she gave me a call and was like, hey, you know, I definitely in support of this and we're just going to put an indefinite pause on it. So that was great. And so the mural got finished, but at the same time, it didn't change the law and it's still there and it's, and it's so difficult for that, you know? And so my takeaway from that was we need more people to be part of these, these conversations because it opened up the eyes of people like saying like, I can't believe this even exists. Like people took offense to it. And I got so many emails. They wanted to like get the city back for it and be like, paint my house. Like there's no reason I shouldn't be able to not put art on, on my walls. And so that, that was a really interesting aspect of it. And then, you know, other, other aspects too are like, I really consider like my mural practice. And that's something that's kind of interesting for me, like currently and what I've, what I've been doing in my studio is I've come to learn, I, ha I have like these, these different dimensions to myself as an artist. Like I kind of have this outside artist, like this outside voice and then this inside. And, and there's like a couple of levels that like outside is outside of my house, in the streets making work within communities of the place that I've lived for a long time. And that outside voice has to take a lot of 
different things into consideration than my inside voice of being a, a studio artist as well and you know working with very personal narratives like I would never go in the streets and share my personal narratives I would much rather take some time to research as much as I can do community outreach and stuff with the location that I'm, I'm painting in and see how much I can incorporate into that and through that process people will share ideas with me and I'll say all right let's let's share that I, was, uh, I did a mural at NUNM, uh, National University of Natural Medicine, and it's uh, outside of their medicinal plant garden. And uh, it's a mural that has a younger person, kind of femme-inspired, uh, laying amongst over a dozen plants. And they're all identifiable medicinal plants in the mural. It's like 40 feet tall almost, and a little bit about that width as well. So I had all these medicinal plants in there, and it was a little bit of personal narrative in there because some of them are herbs that kind of like heal me with my with my own illness, I had the autoimmune disease that I have. And there was a master gardener there, and she wasn't even really made aware of the whole thing that was happening. And that's like her plot, that is, that is her baby. And a very devoted person, a very inspiring person. She shared a story with me. She told me about how she was pretty upset one time where uh, some big donors or something like that, funders for the school came through and a little pompous and stuff and they walked through the garden like, oh, it's lovely, but we gotta get rid of all these dandelions. And dandelions are, are extremely medicinal. And she tried to like let them know, like, I, I know that you wanna remove these dandelions from like the pathway so it looks nice, but they're really important. It's a medicinal plant garden that's purposeful. And, you know, she had to like really battle them. And I thought to myself like, that's really important. And, and there was one plant I was putting in there, which I think was turmeric, which reduces inflammation. You don't find that commonly growing around here. So I was like, that's the one native plant that's not here. Let's remove that. And last day, I just, without even letting NUNM know, I didn't even care. It was like, I'm gonna put these massive dandelions in here. And, uh, and I just did it and no one even noticed or said anything except for the master gardener. I was like, hey, do you remember you shared that story with me at the end? I was like, that's for you. And, and so like, that's really, that's an amazing benefit of having your studio be out in the world is that people can engage with you and then you can continue to incorporate their voice. And so it becomes deeply meaningful, not just for like all of NUNM, but for someone who had dealt with, you know, some tension within their community and helped them be see, feel seen a little bit more, you know? A lot of times for me personally, my art tries to reflect a bit of the neighborhood or a group of folks there, things like indigenous plants and so forth. And it's not just that people appreciate it and, and enjoy having like a bit of color and imagery in their neighborhood, but they can identify with it as well. It's something that happens a lot. A lot of people will share these sort of narratives that they, they begin to extract from it. And, and honestly, there's, there's a lot of times where murals change right on the fly because someone's like, oh, I see this element in here. And I'm like, cool, well, let's, let's collaborate right now, you know? And so that happens a lot, you know? And then you can have the exact opposite every once in a while. Someone gets a little grumpy about what's going up. And those are conversations that are, are important to have. And I'm always trying to do what I can to like keep my eyes and ears open. And, you know, I know a lot of street artists and muralists who will be out there just with headphones and and signs up saying artist working and like try to really create a distance with the public. And I totally get that because it's, there's been locations I've done where it's just constant foot traffic and every other person wants to take photos and talk to you about it. 
and I just end up having to block out a month of my life when I make a mural because I can't help it. I'm, I'm a sociable person and I'm constantly trying to learn. You know, as a teacher, it's like a teacher doesn't mean that like, oh, I'm this, this person disseminating knowledge all the time. I'm, I'm simultaneously a student too, soaking it up. And <laughs> I have an entire art, art education program called Street Edge, Street Education, the total counterbalance to academic education and I feel it's so much we can constantly learn from the streets whether it be just like listening to people in your neighborhood your 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 neighbor attending I don't know demonstrations and protests to hear more about what's going on in the world and not just listening to like major media platforms and stuff there's so many different ways that I see that so it's like the more that I try to be open and receptive to what's what's happening in the streets and like how I can kind of include that it's the crux of my art practice. The work that I'm currently doing now is in the studio and it's not mural painting at all. And having me spending a lot of time like with self-portraiture, staring at myself in the mirror a lot. Uh, I also feel like self-portraiture is not just in like the body, the face. I, I think it has a lot to do with our surroundings too, our immediate surroundings, even people, how they influence us, how, how they inform us. So it's not just the physical corporal self, but it's those spaces too that that self is kind of like within. If I was to take you and put you in a room with moderated temperature, let's say we were like, oh, it's 70 degrees in there. And I painted it super cool blue, right? And then same exact room, and it was like a really warm, bright red. Your body will literally have different degrees of temperature between the two. You will be influenced by the blue, it will be cooler, and the red will make you warm. And these, these are actually like you know, clinical studies on this. And so in that way, that's kind of where I think about like color is expressive, you know? Color can help express some of these aspects that are more nuanced, like when I, a lot of what I'm explaining is nuanced. And so color kind of can be part of that. So I'm thinking about color and I'm thinking about the way environments can influence us and the way that bodies feel. You know, it's the same thing with nature too. Like undoubtedly, if we were to just go outside right now, shoes and socks off, feet in the grass, ground ourselves a little bit, maybe lay back and stare at the sky for 20 minutes, our sense of calm is going to be so much different than what it is at this very moment, you know? And so I see this like kind of inextricable connection with those things. And so it's important that those elements are, are there within, within my work. This episode was sponsored by Oregon Humanities and the Oregon Community Foundation and the Regional Arts and Culture Council. It was written and produced by me, Joni Whitworth, and edited by Callie Day. The music for this episode is from Airfolks, which you can find more of at airfolks.bandcamp.com. If you have any questions or any feedback about the show, please feel free to reach out to us at any time. futureprairie.com. Find me on social media at futureprairie.